Where all my children are the light Born in the sinning But steady striving to do right My people are warriors All we know is to fight Pray They see God in everything I write Hey everybody It is a very special edition of On One with Angela Rye Today I have as my guest um, The most brilliant Ari Berman To talk to us about vote thievery Vote stealing, voter suppression. It is something that plagues our community and has for far too long. Well, it doesn't just impact black folks. It impacts Latinx folks. It impacts our elders. It impacts young people. And there are so many ways that people are becoming more and more astute about just how to steal votes. We're going to unpack all of that and so much more today with my good friend Ari Berman, who has taught me so much along along the way about voter suppression. I'm going to see if he's able to join right now. I'm trying to see if he's available. Here he is. Let's go. So waiting. It's connecting. Ari! Hey, Angela. How's How it going? How are you doing? I think I got to move back a little bit. That's all right. They, you, you have the glow. You're sharing the glow. It's only it's only been seven months of quarantine to figure out how to use, use my and, phone. Use and let Zoom. me know when you figure it out, okay? Like it's seriously. <laughs> um, it is so good to lay eyes on you. Thank you so much good for to doing see you this. Too. Thank you. Um, Ari, let's start at the top, which is this week on my mother's birthday, October thirteenth. Um, it is the last day to register to vote um, in Virginia. And on that day, mysteriously, the cord that is needed to ensure that people can go online and register to vote is accidentally cut. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> what the hell, Ari? What's going on? It, it was crazy. I mean, I, I'm i taking them at their word that it was accidentally cut. That is a... <laughs> Come That's on, an interesting Ari. moment. To, it's an interesting timing for it to happen. I will yes. say the good news is they did extend the deadline. They so did. they gave they gave people 48 hours more to register to vote in Florida. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was that was in an Virginia. interesting that was Virginia. In Virginia. In Virginia. Okay, yeah. I was going to say that something else happened in um, in Florida too. I didn't hear. No, fl- Florida was just one of like a, a bunch of states that cut off registration altogether yes. October 5th which I think is a form of suppression yes. because I mean, listen, as we know, there were two town hall last night, right? <laughs> and uh, at least some people tuned in more for Biden than Trump. We're now learning, um, but people watching in Florida, in Ohio, in Georgia, in Texas, they couldn't register to vote anymore if they were watching that town hall or if they're watching that presidential debate next week. So it's crazy to me how states are cutting off registration 30 days before an election because I know like a lot of young people, they only start paying attention right now, but then they can't register to vote in a bunch of states. So this is um, where I, I want to take a step back. I wanted to start with the shocker because for me, you know, Ari, um, as a black woman in this country with a dad who's an activist, like conspiracy theories are like, you know, we have seen this stuff happen, you know. People have died. People have been targeted in our community. So it feels like, oh, you guys are kooky conspiracy theorists. But it's like, no, nah, this is really rooted in some things that we've experienced. So when I was like, accident, I was like, accidental, my ass. There was no way. But I'm going to go with you and take them at their word. At least uh, registration was extended. I just hope people really heard about it. Um, you have been a writer for a long time. I know in 2015, 
He wrote a book about this thing called Voting Rights in America. Uh, it's in case you all haven't gotten the book is Give Us the Ballot, The Modern Struggle for Voting Rights in America. I've always followed and appreciated your work, um, especially on voter suppression, Ari, because you're just so clear. Can you say um, why this is such a passion for you? Um, this is something that you followed for a long time and you're truly one of the greatest experts of our time. Thanks so much, Angela. So I started covering voting rights way back, all the way back a decade ago. I'm feeling old now. But uh, I noticed after the 2010 election, all of these really key states like Ohio and Florida and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, they all flipped from blue to red, meaning they were now controlled by Republicans. And the first things all of these states did was make it harder to vote through things like strict voter ID laws and cutting back on early voting and purging the voting rolls and closing polling places. And this seemed to me like a major scandal that wasn't getting any attention, that essentially it was an attempt to try to create an electorate that was older, whiter, more conservative, as opposed to younger, more diverse and more progressive. And these state legislatures, by changing their voting laws, were basically trying to nullify the election of the first black president. That was going on. They weren't going to try to change their policies. They were going to try to change who could and couldn't vote. And then I got a lot deeper into the history of voting rights. And when the Supreme Court heard a challenge to the Voting Rights Act, uh, I became a lot more interested in the history of voting rights. And of course, if you understand the history of voting rights in this country, you understand how many people have been suppressed historically? How many people have Ours, died? Put a pin in that for a moment, because I think this is the part that's important. Because so often, it, you know, especially in our community, we say people died for your right to vote. That's OK. It's, it's you know, IG Live. Whoever's talking, they're good. <laughs> My five-year-old. Nora, I'm on a thing. Can you please go? Five. She's six now. She wants you to know. <laughs> She said, you are not going to suppress my to age, Dad. Go talk to mom. Go talk to mom, okay? Thank you. <laughs> she said, I am not five. You are not going to suppress She is me. true. She's not, she's not five. She's now six. Uh, she got a shout out on Chris Hayes' show on Monday night for her birthday. So Aww, she was, happy birthday. She was very excited about that. But Nora, you need to go upstairs now and go talk to mom. Okay, thank you. All right, back to... <laughs> Back to voter suppression. We can edit so, this out of the podcast at least. No, that's yeah. that <laughs> It's real life. It's like it's like when somebody has a moment and they're and they're rapping in the studio and they mess up and they keep it. It's like we have to you gotta keep it authentic, all right? You gotta keep those person. So really quick, we just started talking about the history and I was saying how in our community so often we say people die for your right to vote, but there's still a lot of context are that people don't have because it wasn't in their history books. Folks didn't have these books, you know, necessarily on their shelves at home and maybe they never saw eyes on the prize. So I think just really quickly, um, if you could encapsulate, encapsulate for us, like what is the history around this and why is it so important to kind of break that cycle given where we are right now? So I thought a lot about this when John Lewis passed away yes. in July. And he, he kind of personifies the struggle that a lot of people went through. Um, when John Lewis led the pivotal march for voting rights in Selma, Alabama on March 7th, 1965, only 300 of 15,000 African-Americans in Selma, Alabama were registered to vote. So only 2% of African-Americans are registered to vote. There were things like literacy tests, you actually had to name all 67 county judges 
to be able to register to vote, which, of course, the 67 county judges themselves would have never been able to do had they been asked that question. There, there were poll taxes. You actually had to pay every two or four years to be able to just register to vote, which many uh, poor blacks, but also poor whites could not do. If you somehow did succeed in registering to vote and you were black, your name and address would be printed in the newspaper. So now the Ku Klux Klan and the White Citizens Council knew where you lived. There were young civil rights activists like Andrew Goodman and Michael Schwerner and James Cheney that went down to Mississippi in 1964 during Freedom Summer and were murdered by the Ku Klux Klan simply for trying to register people to vote. And of course, when people tried to march for voting rights like John Lewis, they were brutally beaten um, in that march for voting rights. They were trampled on horseback. They were sprayed with tear gas. There were people that died. There, there was a young... The reason why there was a march from Selma to Montgomery is because in the next county over from Selma, in Marion, Alabama, there was a young civil rights activist named Jimmy Lee Jackson, Mm -hmm. who was 25 years old, the youngest deacon at his church. He tried to register five times and was denied. And there was a night march in Marion, Alabama to protest this. Alabama state troopers broke it up and they attacked Jimmy Lee Jackson's mother. And when he went to protect his mother, he was shot and killed by Alabama state troopers. And John Lewis and other activists were so angry about the death of Jimmy Lee Jackson, they had the idea of trying to march from Selma to Montgomery carrying Jimmy Lee Jackson's casket. So in many ways, and people know about John Lewis, at least a lot more people know about him now than before, but in many ways, it was the death of Jimmy Lee Jackson that was to the voting rights struggle of 1965, like George Floyd has been to the the movement for Black lives today, that you just, this combination of suppression and killing and brutality uh, has reverberated, unfortunately, throughout American history. Wow. Wow. And the thing that is um, so important here, Ari, is you're talking about the 60s portion of when people fought and died for our right to vote. We're not even talking about um, what it took for the 14th Amendment, the 15th Amendment, the fact that those amendments didn't apply to the people you're talking about, really, um, until the Voting Rights Act was implemented in the 60s. And then, of course, to the point you just raised um, around the Supreme Court virtually decimating the Voting Rights Act with Shelby versus Holder. Can you talk a little bit about that in 2014 decision? Because I think a lot of people don't understand that either. Not many of us dig into uh, Supreme Court cases. Are yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the, the, the Shelby County versus Holder's decision was in June of 2013. And it, sorry. it got rid of the most important part of the Voting Rights Act, which is that those states with the longest histories of discrimination had to approve their voting changes with the federal government. Because when the Voting Rights Act was signed in 1965, Lyndon Johnson, the president, and the Congress at the time knew that if you struck down a literacy test or a poll tax in Alabama or Georgia, they were just going to try to pass another one, right? So you had to shift the burden of discrimination from those facing discrimination to those doing the discrimination. And that part of the Voting Rights Act blocked over 3,000 discriminatory voting changes from 1965 to 2013. So I think a lot of people have this idea of the Voting Rights Act, like, oh, this was a great piece of legislation. It was really important in 1965. But they don't realize it blocked voter suppression in 1975 and 1985 and 1995 and 2005, all the way up until it was gutted. And so basically, 
what the Supreme Court did in a, an opinion written by John Roberts was say that those states with a long history of discrimination, they didn't have to approve their voting changes with the federal government any longer. And that opened the door to huge new voter suppression efforts in Texas and Georgia and other states. So like in Texas, they were able to put in place a law that says you can vote with a gun permit, but not a student ID. Right. That was blocked under the Voting Rights Act. But you take those protections away and that kind of thing is able to go into effect. The fact that Georgia closed over 200 polling places, which led to these 11-hour lines that we saw at the polls. That kind of thing would have been blocked under the Voting Rights Act. Uh, But now it's much, much harder to challenge these kind of discriminatory voting changes. You can only challenge them after the fact when the suppression has already occurred, as opposed to challenging it before it even became law. What effect do you think that um, eliminating the preclearance requirement for states and and, and jurisdictions that have demonstrated a pattern and practice of discriminatory behavior, now that that's gone, what impact do you think that alone, not having those protections alone, will have on um, suppressing the vote, on people just saying, forget it, it's too hard? Well, I'm hoping that doesn't happen because I think we're seeing people really motivated to vote in states like Texas and Georgia, despite the barriers they're they're seeing. Or maybe the barriers are making people so angry that they're getting even more motivated to vote, which I think is one thing that's going on right now. But it's definitely true that if you look at uh, these uh, different states that in in Georgia, for example, uh, if you look at the wait times there during the primaries, African-Americans in majority black neighborhoods waited 51 minutes to vote at the polls. In majority white neighborhoods, the average wait time was six minutes to vote. So you're talking about an average of 51 minutes to vote in communities of color and an average wait time of only six minutes in white neighborhoods. That's what voter suppression looks like in, in 2020. Or the fact that in Texas, they said there can only be one drop-off location for mail ballots. So that means that instead of 12 locations to drop off your ballot in Harris County, which is a majority minority county, there is one drop-off location for mail ballots in a county that has 2.4 million registered voters, larger than the state of Rhode Island, and has more people than 26 states. So that's just crazy. And that's the exact kind of thing you would have to get approval for those kind of changes back in the day. Now you don't. You can just immediately put in this kind of suppression. It's really hard to challenge after the fact. Ari, what do you think um, from all of your research, um, from all the times you spent studying this, what is the reason why? Like, if you're just like, this is why they're doing this, what do you say is the reason? Because I think a, a basically all-white Republican Party is really afraid of the changing demographics of of the Nora, you have to go. Okay. One second. I love Nora. Nora is me, y'all. <laughs> I love She's Nora. Off the door. She can't come in anymore. No. Okay. Come back, Nora. Come back. I'm I'm locking I'm locking her out. Normally, I'm uh, in a different location, uh, and I'm in a basement where they can't get down here. But now there's a lot of. Uh, running around and then she sees someone on camera and she wants to see this. I so, love Nora. Nora is me. The, the question of who is this targeting? Um, you have a Republican party that's basically an all white party that is devoted now to playing off of racial grievances, to defending white supremacists, yeah. uh, to more and more uh, seeming like their entire party 
is based in opposition to the changing demographics of the country. And so as the demographics keep changing, as uh, African-Americans, Latinos, uh, Asian-Americans, more progressive whites, younger people start becoming a larger segment of the society, Mm -hmm. there are more and more aggressive attempts to try to disenfranchise those constituencies. In the same way that, as you mentioned earlier, after the Civil War, when Black men were given the right to vote, there were vicious attempts to try to disenfranchise them, which ultimately ended up being successful. Yeah. Because white segregationists didn't want Black men to be part of the political process. It's harder to do that now. There's more protections in place. We've come a long way since that time. But the same impulse that when new people get power, when new people try to exercise those rights, those people that feel like they might get voted out of power because of this, they resort to extraordinary means to try to prevent that from happening. Extraordinarily ridiculous means, right? And I think um, the other part of this that I'm really fascinated by, Ari, that um, I don't have all the tools in part because I don't sit on the Senate or House Intel Committee, so I don't have access to all the intelligence. But I'm convinced that... um, You know, what we saw in 2016, in 2018, especially in Florida and Georgia, and what we're seeing now um, as it relates to votes not being counted, votes disappearing, like all of that is the next level, the technical um, aspects of voter suppression, which is also why I'm like, they did not cut that cord by accident. Do you anticipate delving further into those aspects of suppression um, tactics and the ways in which foreign interference, um, the ways in which um, state operators are also engaging with and have been complicit in foreign interference. The FBI did an investigation on Florida, some precincts in Florida, right, in 2018. Have you also looked into that? Yeah, I, I've been looking into that. It's a little bit sh- more shadowy and a little bit harder to uncover than some yeah. other stuff. But in, in 2016, I think the, the FBI has acknowledged that uh, Russians tried to get access to the voter registration databases of all 50 states. And yeah. uh, they were able to get information, at least in one state, um, in Illinois, and then some counties in Florida and, and other places. And we don't know if any votes were changed because of that. And the U.S. system is very decentralized, which makes it harder. You can't just like hack into one giant database. You have to kind of go state by state by state and then county by county by county. But people are already trying to do that. And basically, Trump was encouraging that. He was encouraging the Russians uh, to go after Hillary's emails and who knows how much more. And there's been this convergence between the propaganda coming from the Trump campaign and the propaganda coming from the Russians and others about mail ballots, for example. Um, A lot of the disinformation that's being spread on social media is being amplified by foreign actors. Now, honestly, I think like we don't need Russians to spread disinformation in our elections when the president of the United States is already doing that. Um, But they're definitely, they're definitely amplifying um, what he's doing and nothing has been done to try to prevent foreign election interference. There was a bill that passed the house called the shield act and it's been sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk for almost a year. So it's pretty crazy. All this stuff happened in 2016 and we haven't really done much, if anything, since then to try to crack down on foreign election interference. And, you know, to that point too, Ari, there was, um, SHIELD Act is not HR1. 
No, no. HR one is the For the People Act. And, and that also has um, protections and funding for states to ensure that they can um, uh, strengthen their systems to prevent foreign interference. And there are protections in what would, what is now called the John Lewis Voting Rights Act that is also sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk. And the HEROES Act all have these um, protections in place. Nothing, though, Ari, um, to the point we talked about earlier with the Supreme Court, nothing is as important to them as getting another justice on the Supreme Court. What is her, um, it was Amy Coney Barrett's um, record on voting rights. This is the Supreme Court nomination, nominee you all from Trump, by the way. Well, it was, it was pretty crazy. I mean, she, she refused to answer to some super basic questions. She was asked, um, can the president of the United States unilaterally delay the election? She refused to answer when he doesn't have the power to unilaterally delay the election. Only Congress has the power to change the date of the election, which she could have very easily said. She was asked if voter intimidation is a crime, mm-hmm. and she refused to answer that. And yes, voter intimidation is a crime. There was a specific statute about it um, in, in the Constitution. Uh, she was asked uh, if the president should commit to a peaceful transfer of power. And she refused to answer that, which like, that is so basic. You're going to be one of nine justices upholding the law and you can't even tell the president to commit to a peaceful transfer of power. Another thing is she was part of the legal team in Bush versus Gore in 2000. I did not know that. She was part of the legal team. She was only 28. She was a junior lawyer, but she was down there in Florida making sure Republican votes were counted. For George uh, Bush. And not only that, but yeah. yeah. One more time. Somebody called me and I want to hear about this. So Amy Coney Barrett was on Bush v. Gore's legal team, not defending Gore, probably on the Bush side as a 28 year old junior lawyer on the case. And then say the rest of the coffee. Yeah. So she, she was she was defending the Bush Cheney campaign. And also John Roberts was down there and Brett Kavanaugh are down there. So if she was confirmed, she would be one of three justices, conservative justices on the Supreme Court who worked on Bush versus Gore defending George W. Bush. This is, this is so important because this is basically what Trump wants. He All wants, right, you need to say that one more time for the people in the back and tell people what Bush versus Gore is and why this is crazy. So basically, for people who don't know, there was a 36-day recount in Florida between Al Gore and George W. Bush. And there was dispute over ballots. And basically, the Bush campaign didn't want to count all of the ballots because they knew if you, there was a full recount of ballots, Al Gore would win the election. So they appealed to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court cut the counting short yeah. and basically installed George W. Bush as the president. Amy Coney Barrett was part of a related case that I think is in some ways even crazier. So in the run-up to the 2000 election, Republicans were actually for mail voting. This is back when Republicans liked mail voting. Yeah. And they, they sent absentee ballot request forms uh, to their voters. And there was a screw up with a printing error. There was a printing error on these request forms. So all of these ballot requests were sent in and they were missing the voter identification number that you needed. So that would normally would mean you don't get a ballot because you didn't submit a proper request form. Yeah. Republican officials with the Florida Republican Party, were allowed to go into election offices in two counties and alter these ballot request forms. In one county, they actually took them out 
they, they put the information in and they brought them back with no supervision so that Republican voters would get their ballots. Now, this is the exact kind of thing that if the Democrats had done this today, the Trump campaign would go crazy. So basically, Republicans altered these absentee ballot request forms so Republican voters would get mail ballots. And these ballots went heavily for George W. Bush. Democrats challenged them after the 2000 election and said, hey, these voters should have never gotten their ballots because they didn't submit proper reforms. And it was illegal to go into the office and take these forms out. Amy Coney Barrett was on the team that defended these Republican mail ballots. So like at the same time Trump is screaming about voter fraud, Amy Coney Barrett in 2000 is defending (laughs) the very thing that the Trump campaign is accusing Democrats of doing. But this is much worse. Democrats now haven't taken absentee ballot request forms where nobody knows what they're doing, filled in information and got their voters ballots. So Mm -hmm. this goes to show me that she basically will do whatever it takes to maximize Republican votes, because that was the position. There was no it was actually illegal what they were doing under Florida law. She'll do whatever it takes to maximize Republican votes. And that's exactly what Trump wants. He wants the Supreme Court to throw out ballots, no matter what the law says, no matter what the precedent is, as long as it benefits them, as long as it benefits him. So I think this experience of hers is a direct conflict of interest. Um, And I think she should, if she's on the court, I think she should should recuse herself from any case about the election. All right. You know, the thing about this is, you know, sometimes in these conversations on voter suppression, on foreign interference, on whether or not there's voter fraud, which is, we know, of course, the Republican talking point um, for sure. Sometimes people have to feel like, what happened to this whole idea of one person, one vote? You know, especially when we talk about, we still have the Electoral College. Like, there are some, some arguments that people make that are good ones. How do you keep people engaged interested and from a a really honest place about how important this is um, to utilize our voices and our votes, even when we're fighting against something like this that feels like, hey, hey, Goliath, I'm David, right? Like, (laughs) like these five stones. Yeah. What do you say to that? Well, I mean, it's true. There is a lot of things that are unfair about our political system. I mean, my vote in New York doesn't matter nearly as much as someone's vote in Wisconsin because of the electoral college. I mean, people only come to New York to fundraise because New York's going to go blue, even though we have the second most people of any state. Uh, it's also true if you look at the Senate, that every state gets two senators, right? So California has two senators with 40 million people, and Wyoming has two senators with 600,000 people, meaning that a voter in Wyoming has 70 times the voting power yeah. of a voter in California in the U.S. Senate. So there's a lot of things that are screwed up about our system. That said, your vote is going to matter at some point on your ballot. There's always going to be at least one race that's competitive or one race that's close. It might be in a primary, it might be in a general election, but your vote is always going to matter. Um, and, And even if it doesn't matter, I think this stuff matters in terms of legitimacy. Like who wins the popular vote? It doesn't decide the election. I think it should, but it's a marker of what the country believes. That's right. And the, the fact that Trump lost the popular vote by 3 million showed that he never had the support of a majority of Americans. And he was only elected because of the anti-democratic structures of our country. And, and so I think it's important to keep that in mind. And I think it's important to keep in the mind that we have a, a lot of undemocratic features in our system, but we can change some of them. We might not get rid of the electoral college overnight. We might not get rid of the Senate overnight. 
but we can pass legislation to make it easier to vote. We can pass legislation to restore the Voting Rights Act. We can pass legislation to protect foreign election interference. We can pass legislation so you don't have to wait 11 hours in Georgia to vote. I mean, we can, with a different kind of administration, a different kind of Congress, and different kind of people at the state level, we can do all of those things. So the system can be changed, which is one of the things that's good about American democracy, even when things don't look so hot at times. So those are big picture kind of macro level changes that are needed. If I'm sitting at home and um, I want to get involved, but I don't know where to start, already knowing that voting rights and fighting against voter suppression is certainly are certainly passions of yours. What do you say to the folks who are like, okay, well, where do I start? This feels overwhelming. I think people should honestly start at the local and state level. Like one of the things that hasn't gotten a lot of attention is state legislatures are the ones that decide how easy or how hard it is to vote. They're the ones that write voting laws. So like in Texas, the fact that you can vote with a gun permit, but not a student ID, that was done by the state legislature. And not only that, but state legislatures are the ones that draw voting districts for the next decade, which is going to happen in 2021 this year through the redistricting process. So like whoever you elect for state legislatures this year matters a ton. And like, these are really close races. Like the Virginia legislature was literally tied in 2018 and they had to draw lots. They basically flipped a coin yeah. to decide who controlled the body. So like, I always tell people like, focus on the local level, who your secretary of state is. Another thing that matters tremendously, like we saw in 2018 in Georgia, Brian Kemp was running for governor and he was also the secretary of state. which And purging, vo- and purging voter registrations. Yeah, doing a ton of stuff, closing over 200 polling places, um, trying to kick over 50,000 people um, from registering to vote, removing over half a million people from the, the voting rolls. So he, like, he was making the voting laws in the race that he was running for to win. And so like, that just goes to show you that's how important secretaries of state could be. And a lot of states have those elections in 2020. So like, I think it's important for people to be excited about the presidential race and then so people are excited about the Senate and, and congressional races, but all of these local races matter a lot and they haven't gotten nearly as much attention. If you want to make a difference in terms of giving money or volunteering or doing something like that, um, I would urge people to get involved on those races because you can make a big impact with just one person in, in those kind of local races where the margins are so much closer. All right. Do you have any new books coming out? Anything coming out in this, in this space? Uh, not for a while. I'm, I'm working on a new book about kind of all the anti-democratic features of our political system and, and how it can be changed. But uh, I kind of got my hands full at the moment with, with everything that's going on. And with Nora. Nora's in there like, listen, you can't be talking about no voter suppression and suppress my voice, Dad. It's not going down. So I think you have a, you have a good partner. True. Um, I think the, I did successfully suppress, suppress her, vote, her, her voice, though. So maybe I, said, maybe I took it. a page from the Texas GOP and the Georgia <laughs> GOP, my own daughter. Well, well, I want you to know that um, I'm certainly in this fight with you. And I hope that um, as soon as we get to the other side of this election, we can brainstorm about how we're going to get rid of this electoral college first. But you got me on the Senate piece, too. I'm right there with you. So let's definitely strategize. For sure. Thank you, Ari. I'm so grateful. Thanks so much. Tell Nora I said bye. Thank you. I will. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you all for tuning in. This has been great. I always learn so much from Ari Berman. I hope you enjoyed it.
I hope that you learn something. I hope that you will go and teach your communities, your friends, your families. As lot is on the line, y'all. Election Day isn't on November 3rd. It's right now. Go and cast your votes. Go and vote for your interests and ensure that you are educated about all the ways that the system of democracy has some anti-democratic features, as Ari Berman said. But most of all, make sure that you are a part of the solution and not just standing on the sidelines complaining. It's our time. It's our system, our ways. Let's go. Take care. We're all my children of the light, born in the sinning, but steady striving to do right. My people are warriors. All we know is to fight. Pray. They see God in everything I write here. Yeah.